You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 202. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you following a busy week and a down week for the markets. We will start by chatting about the big financial story of the past week that's heading into this week, the collapse of tech banker Silicon Valley Bank, which is traded under the symbol SIV dot, or SIVB on the NASDAQ. The failure marks the second largest in U.S. history by a number of measures. We will look at why and what the fallout may be. Brett will take a look at that for us just momentarily. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, I will start with a look at long-term recommendation XPEL Inc., symbol XPEL on the NASDAQ, a leading provider of protective films, coatings, including automated paint protection films, surface protection film, automotive and architectural window films, and ceramic coatings. A listener who bought the stock in the $2 range on our recommendation asks us if the pullback at the end of February and into March from the $80 range to $65 today is a time to add more. Brennan answers a viewer question on Tricon Residential, TCN on the TSX, a rental housing company focused on servicing the middle market demographic. The viewer noted that it appears to be trading at a discount to peers with an acceptable balance sheet and tailwinds at their back with housing shortages and massive immigration inflows. Brennan will let you know his thoughts after examining the company. All right, let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my uh, co-host in what sure is to be the top rated show of the year so far. I welcome Brennan and Brett, the Killer Bees. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Especially it's looking a lot better in here. Yeah, it is. And why, why would why would I say that this might be the highest rated show mm. of the week? Is something missing from the show or is it addition via subtraction? Well, Aaron Dunn, Mr. Dunn has boarded the family jet. He's off to Chile for a couple of weeks. Uh, we sent him there. We couldn't stand him around the office anymore. Really, we're paying for everything just to get him the hell out of here. So we'll see if this week ranks the highest. But my predictions always come true. So, of course, it will. I thought you were. How are you guys that, doing? Uh, I thought you were going to say that he was uh, traveling around in a van with as as the Partridge family. Is it the Partridge family that you use? It, it can be. Yeah, the Partridge family. <laughs> I've said that before. It's it's yeah. tough to get into a van and get down to Chile from Vancouver. It's yeah. it's it's it. You know, he's he's he has wings on one of those vans, but those are just stenciled on the side, right? So yeah. now he needs he needs an actual he needs the luxury family jet that they they board where they fly all over the world. This time it's Chile. But yeah, we got no, doing well, doing well. Uh, Good, yeah, big news. Well, we just finished up our. We had three seminars last week, so busy week. Brennan was losing it around the I office. He, yeah, yeah, he couldn't handle Stressed it. This out. is a regularly a chipper young man was just an ornery <laughs> sob. <laughs> I think we're kidding. For, I don't know for if Brennan, you are kidding. I don't. He, I don't blame he, you. Um, he frowned twice. That means he's ornery, right? So, yes. like that—that mm-hmm. that literally happened. So, no, Brennan's yeah. a, a Brennan's a happy guy at the best of times. So, last week when he frowned, we thought maybe the sky was falling. But it was <laughs> yeah. a busy week. Uh, interacted with you know uh, four five hundred clients. We had a VIP event that went on the weekend. We had Tuesday and Thursday uh, the individual seminars. That was great. So. It was good to do that virtually. Uh, in the fall, we'll probably get out and uh, you know shake hands with some VIP clients. But uh, it was good to see. Yeah, Brennan it was great. did a little presentation. How was it, Brennan? Were, you, were the good. nerves there? No, wasn't nervous. Um, you asked yeah. me, would I rather be in front of a crowd or doing it, you know, mm-hmm. in front of a computer? I honestly think I'd rather be in front of the crowd. 
Um, yeah. To be completely honest, I mean, the nerves are almost the same, but it's just nice to get that feedback from the audience, you know, yeah. so uh, because I don't know how they're judging me when I'm looking at the at the, uh, you know, just my camera. Oh, and they are when, judging you. Trust me. Oh, probably. But at least when I'm, <laughs> you know, in front of them, you know, I, I can tell on their face exactly how they're judging. Me. You can so, see uh, the hate in their eyes. Exactly. Right. When he, they're he's still riding his high. Yes. From that uh, joke, he, <laughs> he said joke. a joke, which, yeah, he had a big joke and got a big laugh in Vancouver yeah. about six months ago, and he's still riding that. But then two days later, he was in Calgary and no laughs, yeah, and he's still just broken from that. It rattled him. It rattled him. It he's still been rattled yeah. since that point. But I, I, it's funny because sometimes you present, and it's because I was just discussing this with you uh, a couple days before because you yep. were, you know, presenting in front of a, you know, an audience My for first the time with you, know, you guys. first time, yep. yeah, with us. So. I said, you know, sometimes a joke will, the exact same joke in one room goes over just tremendously well. And then it goes over like a fart in church in the next <laughs> room you're in. Right. And it's just, or it's crickets and you have to be ready for that or either make a joke that it, you know, the last time you presented this way, everybody laughed. I don't know what's wrong with me or, you know, make, make yeah. fun of yourself. <laughs> Brennan, it happened to him two days later. And, uh, it's tough, right? You get it was, rattled. It was pretty funny, you know. Like uh, after you Vancouver, end up laughing yourself, right? Of course, but you know, after Vancouver, I thought I was the funniest man alive, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, Calgary it uh, brought me down to earth. So, you know, it's true. <laughs> we don't laugh out here. No, I guess. No. I guess. it's a very serious crowd. Very serious. No, yes. it was a great crowd when we were in Calgary too, um, as well. But yeah, you know, Sunday as well. Uh, just this past Sunday, we. How long was the chat session that we did with, or the Q and A session we did with VIP? 40, 40, 45 minutes after, 45 yeah, minutes. with VIP. That was with new VIP clients that we were onboarding there, so that was great. And that, you can find that well. our VIP clients can see that uh, the forty minutes there. If you want to take a look at that, some good questions on a bunch of companies in our uh, VIP high conviction portfolio. So that was, yeah, it was good. It was good to get that all through and now we're on to some great research which is good to see again but uh this week big news silicon valley bank the largest failure of a financial institution i believe since washington mutual collapsed at the height of the financial uh, crisis more than a decade ago and it had some immediate effects so brett do you want to take it away get into that you got uh, a little presentation that you've got that you want to talk about probably uh, yeah, no, you got we're, no, I don't have slides this time and he's, <laughs> okay, he's typing that up and nobody no, I, wants I have to clips look at slides. And, well, they don't get to see them, but I have clips and stuff lined up for the actual viewers awesome. and yeah. I, I will qualify. It was the second largest bank in us history, mm -hmm. but that doesn't count like investment banks, which we call them. Those mm -hmm. are technically financial service. So Lehman yeah. brothers in 08. And I think Bear Stearns was actually bigger than this as well. Both of those are financial services. They don't count as banks, even yeah. though we all call them investment banks. It's just we'll put that out there. Okay. I know. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't count. Yeah. Just, just for just for bank failures, you know, just <laughs> yeah. just to bring them down a bit. But uh, Silicon Valley Bank is the bank which we're going to be talking about here primarily. Formerly, I'm, I'm going to say because they are going to end up being delisted at this time. They're just technically halted. They were symbol SIVB on the NASDAQ. So if you look that up, you can see the previous uh, stock performance. It went from about 200 trading on a Thursday or Wednesday to 100 on the Thursday. And then now it's halted at about that $100 mark. But first, we'll go through the timeline of the event. Last week, mid last week, Moody's, which is a credit rating agency, looked to downgrade the company's rating, which obviously in retrospect is pretty uh, well done on a downgrade, which it should have probably been lower beforehand. Ratings like this are used by third parties to look at banks and other major depositors. Uh, as um, a, So if you're loaning out money to them, you want to say, hey, they're double A, I'll give them this rate. If they're only a C, you'll give them a higher rate or higher rate demanded. So you might require like the uh, LIBOR rate, or I guess it's not LIBOR anymore, but plus uh, spread. So it be, might be 1% for double A, it might be 5% for C. So banks and other companies would want to keep the ratings high as possible to keep the cost down. So as the downgrade was pending, the bank, which I should say it was pending because the bank's portfolio was severely impaired because of rising interest rates. When a bank's core operations is taking in deposits and loaning out money, interest rates will rise the rates of their loans and as well as securities 
and it will decrease values as interest rates decrease. Aaron recently went over this interaction recently, and I'll put a link to that in the description. On Wednesday, March 8th, SVB tried to raise capital to stop this multiple notch downgrade. They were expecting at least one, but you want to stop a substantial decrease in rating. The company was looking to raise just over $2.2 billion in capital by selling stock. They had a non-committed private placement. So non-committed pretty much means they're involved, but they aren't legally obligated to buy at that point. And they have $500 million of that lined up. But this is where the market really took notice. Thursday the 9th, stock on opening plunged 60%. So Goldman Sachs bankers at this time were still putting together the deal, hoping to get about $95 per share. So that's still under half of what they were initially expecting on a per share basis. But as new spread of the risk and the depositors quickly withdrew, it started a bank run. Depositors just quickly more and more fell out. They were pulling out as much money as they could. This caused any potential stock placement to hold the bank together just to fall apart. Now on Friday, after the max exodus of depositors and their funds just completely withdrew, the placement failed as well. SVB had more deposits than assets backing them effectively causing the bank to be both illiquid and insolvent at this time. So the FIDC, FDIC, commonly known as, or the Federal Deposit Insurance Company, commonly known as the FDIC, wiped out all the bank equity, all the common and preferred stock, and as well, but not guaranteed the corporate debt holders. But at this point, it looks like they're not going to be getting even pennies back on the dollar. In other words, Wall Street got wiped out in this case. On Sunday, the FDIC Guaranteed all deposits past the usual 250,000 insurance limit, meaning all depositors would be made whole. Only 2.7% of the deposits were insured under the standard limit. At this point, I'll stress that the FD, if the FDIC did not do this, it would most likely cause a significant contagion events as other banks will start seeing depo- depositors pull out, causing multiple bank runs, which we've already actually seen one additional one with uh, SBY on uh, Sunday. And if they were to not do this, you'd see more meltdown and you'd likely see this hit the broad financial market and then into the real market. So your companies would start to fall apart. They can't meet payroll. So all those um, startups and all the other tech companies that were using SVB as their bank, they can't hit payroll next week. So people quit, people lose their jobs, they can't pay their mortgages. And you see how it plays out there. You'd have another 0809 financial crisis if they don't do anything. Obviously, that could play in the Fed playbook since inflation is no longer a worry at that point. You see demand being crushed. But that's way worse. That's a super hard landing. That's not even a landing. That's a crash. So obviously, the government, they've released statements. They actually had a Congress meeting last night, and they need to do something. So if you are in the US, this wasn't your money bailing them out yet. This was uh, the bank's money indirectly. So I will put that out there because I've seen people saying it's a government bail bailout. It's not. It's still bailout, but not a government bailout. So and at this time, the FDIC is looking for purchasers. Uh, the UK branches were already taken over by HSBC for a grand total of one pound. There's your buyout to buy a bank. So if you had one pound on you, you could have bought a bank. That's not really how it works. That's a bit of me being a bit facetious about it. But it's pretty much what it's done is the large banks have enough liquidity to support these short-term deposits, but they're absorbing the risk. But in exchange, they have the long-term potential of gaining uh, their own portfolio sizes increased and as well as uh, their own customer base. So really, what was the underlying issue here? As much as I would like to attribute it to the collapse to Jim Cramer's bullish remarks last month. I think the fears were not justified. It's a very compelling situation. Hey, by the way, long-term private equity and venture capital, they're not going away. The collapse is really due to fundamental issues. The biggest issue at play here, there were a couple, but I'm going to really focus on this one because they all revolve around it, was a mismatch of duration between the assets and liabilities. So when banks take in deposits and lend them out, like mortgages or investing securities like treasury bills, they're commonly called risk-free for those but they're only default risk freeze because the government cannot default on this on them. Really, they can, but for the most part, you expect them not to. They'll just keep on printing money. And I, I know this is going to confuse people when I say printing money, they're increasing monetary limits. So as they are sensitive to interest rates, so these risk free bonds and loans, they will be sensitive to interest rates. And this is called duration. 
or effective duration, I should say. That's the specific type of duration here. So for banks, if you don't want to see the negative impacts of interest rate changes or duration, they will want to match their asset portfolio with their liabilities, and liabilities in this case are the depositors. Effectively, money in via interest rate and money out via interest changes change at the same pace when your interest rates go down or up. Matching duration is called immunization, and this practice is very common. SVB did not do this. And I'll quickly address a few comments which I've seen rolling around the internet and common takes I've seen. It's the Fed's fault for raising interest rates. They caused the bank to collapse. Frankly, this is just a poor opinion. It's very dumbed down. Bank operations are directly linked to the change in interest rates. But there are many, many, many ways they can negate this risk. Like I said, they can uh, immunize their portfolio. You can do this through interest rate swaps, which is trillions and trillions of dollars trade in notional value. It's not a hard position to get into, and it completely wipes out this risk. And that they should be aware of this. But that being said, they didn't have a chief risk officer who would be responsible for this. They had eight months without a chief, chief risk officer. So if they just completely ignored it, this would be why, because it would be right during that time. This was from April 2022 to the start of 2023, where these interest rate increases were taking place. If they were just not paying attention, there you go. Like That's just a complete organizational failure at this point. If the CFO wasn't looking over it, or the CEO, because normally if you have a sudden departure, you'd have someone step into that role. Clearly not. They, they weren't looking at it. Like That's just another failure of this specific company. And as well, like I was saying, there was SBOI, which failed, which was um, Signature Bank. They as well had similar, most likely, issues. They, they weren't paying attention to the risk. The next comment I'll address is, this was due to it holding crypto companies as depositors. Yes, they had high-risk high depositors, but the depositors weren't defaulting. They just had deposits in the bank. And this was nothing to do with the issue. If it was their loan portfolio failing, yes, but that's not the issue here. It was a duration mismatch. So purely it was just the banks not matching their duration risk, their interest rate risk, whatever you want to call it in this case. They're slightly different, but I'm not going to play semantics because it, it would have been the same thing at the end of the day. So not a crypto issue. It was just them failing to manage the risk. Lastly, I'll add, this risk is not over. We're recording this on Monday the 13th. Two more banks, the First Republic Bank and Western Alliance Bank, have both seen their stocks fall roughly 60% and 45% respectively. So it's most likely not over. We might see a couple more defaults. We might see a couple more FDIC takeovers, both having large unsecured deposit base like SVB and Signature. That's the risk which we're seeing at play here, which the people are targeting into withdrawal. And even, even strong banks ultimately can be taken out by bank runs, but the weakest will fall first. I want to emphasize that. So when you're complaining that the FDIC is now insuring what should have been insured deposits, this can happen to banks that were otherwise fine. Bank runs can affect any bank, not just ones that are poorly run like these. These were poorly run banks, obviously, but they wouldn't be the last if the bank runs are just keep on going. So I'll open it up to you guys here. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good summary. It, it's funny because you... Um... You noted that on Wednesday, March 8th, SVB tried to raise capital. It's traditionally a day when I am trying to raise capital. It's Candace's birthday that day. So <laughs> I, every year I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to f try to cover the, uh, the presence that she is paying for, for herself, right, on that day. But I'm kidding, actually. <laughs> Oh, uh, that day but regardless no yeah it, it's it's something to watch like like i think you're saying generally speaking when the federal reserve uh rates were near zero banks were stocked up on long-term low-risk treasuries uh you know how are interest rates nasty interest rate hikes i mean it's the value of those assets gradually reduced leaving banks you know sometimes sitting on losses but in in this case it's it's something to look at when you're looking at banks but this really does look like company specific risk that went on poorly managed uh, banks. And, uh, you know, it, uh, you can have any business that's poorly managed banks tend to involve, you know, the, the entire community around that area, or, you know, if it's a regional bank, if it's larger, so there can be more of an impact. So a business fails, if it's poorly run in this case, uh, it has more of an impact, but business poorly run failing. And uh, like you said, that the point is, a bank run is going to hit these we poorly run banks first. If there is further, you know, it, it 
you know, it can be an issue for a well-run bank and it, it, you know, that, that could be an issue. I don't think we're seeing that right now. No, no, I don't think we're going to see like, you're not going to see like the big uh, five U.S. banks fall apart. You're not going to see J.P. Morgan and Chase just fall apart overnight. They're actually backing some of these guys out, mm-hmm. which it is actually a play for the, some of these larger banks. They'll look to buy them out. Like I said, the U.K. branches got sold for one pound. If you could buy yeah. and weather well, the storm. And that, that's the thing. It's it's actually an opportunity for these guys. Well, even. SVB has a large uh, asset management business too. Like there's there's going to be opportunities there to gain clients. And if you just are smartly able to swoop in at the right moment, uh, you're probably going to pick up some plum assets at some really bargain basement prices. So, I mean, it becomes an opportunity. But yeah. like you said, that is crazy. They didn't have a risk officer. I mean, yeah, like you're, in- I mean, you're seeing you're seeing some of these things play out like with with um, uh, Sam Bankman Freed's company, like, like they're basically no risk. It, money was so free in so many that you just didn't you didn't have the you didn't have the checks and balances in place in these companies, which seems asinine, particularly with the size of the money we're talking about in like those two failures. It's unbelievable mm-hmm. that you can't have basic risk assessment and basic risk controls in place, and it looks like in both of these. You know, that wasn't in place, which is shocking, but you see it from time to time. Yeah. Like I love, like right now, um, the internet is just absolutely eating it up wow. that, uh, Joseph Gentile who was, uh, or is, was, uh, the chief administrative officer at SVB. Well, his background essentially, and it's kind of funny, or at least I think that it's interesting that the internet's pointing it out is prior prior to joining uh, SVB, um, he was working for uh, the Lehman Brothers and he ended up retiring. Uh, he was the CFO for the Lehman Brothers and he ended up leaving Lehman Brothers in 2007. So literally right before, you know, the crash and Lehman Brothers obviously getting uh, taken out or, you know, going bankrupt. Um, and then as well, you know, he ended up starting his career at Arthur Anderson, which is the company that... Uh, ended up doing the auditing for uh, Enron, from my understanding. Um, and I mean, it's, I, I'm not saying that the, the reason this bank... F- Basically, anywhere this guy, guy goes next, get the hell out <laughs> of there, is what, what you're mean, saying, just, right? That's what you're trying to say. The internet's undefeated. It's kind mm, of funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry for laughing. You know, people lost money. It's not, it's not, some, it's not a funny matter, but I, I just love that the internet, you know, pulls this up. Putting this guy's face everywhere, and uh, you know, just saying, well, wherever this guy goes, you know exactly what you just said, Ryan. Wherever this guy goes, you know, you you should just avoid. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of funny. Well, jokes aside, like I think it is a good thing to look deep into these management teams because mm-hmm. they actually did. Like it, this was a regular share sale, but they sold millions in stock <laughs> the day before the what they were going to sell their uh, uh, capital raise. So that's yeah. a bit questionable to say the least. Yeah, yeah there's, there's well going to be a debate well. about those yeah. planned <laughs> sales, right? They had this, I think it was the CEO, was it not? Had yeah, CEO, CFO, sale. I think it was yeah. an entire C-suite. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, and, and the, the question is, uh, did they know about the capital raise coming? And And I would say, yes, it happened within a very short period of time after. You have an idea of what's going on. I know, should that be allowed, it, you know, it's predetermined, but should it be stopped then, you know, because you, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to, I mean, clearly they, you know, it was millions of dollars, right. That they put in their pockets right before, you know, the, the equity is wiped out completely. So yeah. I don't know. strange. Yeah. And I think that should be, that may be talked about and those type of plans kind of maybe revisited when you look at, I mean, these aren't everyday occurrences that, you know, a bank failing like that. So, you know, but you can't make policy based on, potentially occurrences that are, you know, very rare, but in this case, it's really bad luck. That's, you know, somebody's cashing out right ahead of that. I, I, I read an article on that too, as well. And it makes you, you know, sit back. They pay say, bonuses wow. as well, which was another uh, thing. Exactly. <laughs> All of that. You could go in the compensation. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Yeah. We don't, I don't think we have enough time. No. Well, it will go on and on about that. Yeah. All right. Let, let's move on. That was a good summary. And we'll continue to watch that story, see if there is any fallout. Even the Canadian banks this morning were hit, right? And, you know, kind of recovering yeah, definitely um, some negative by, by midday. Yeah. yeah. But some negative sentiment in that segment. 
Okay, I'm going to look at a company that should be no uh, stranger to our client base, even to just our listeners on here. Expel Inc., symbol XPEL and NASDAQ. Uh, originally, it was a buy from Keystone in 2017 at $1.42. Many times since, we've recommended it. It trades at 64 54 It's up over 3,200% since then. Um, now, market cap right now, $1.78 billion. Uh, Back to when it, the recommendation was thirty-seven million, so thirty-seven million to one point seven eight billion. It's been quite the ride. What does Expel do to produce all those returns? Well, it's a pretty boring business, but there's just great growth here, which is what we like. They're a provider of protective films and coatings, including automotive paint protection film, surface protection film, automotive and architectural window films, and ceramic coatings. So that coating that goes on your car, that ceramic coating that protects it from those annoying scratches and dings you get from uh, rock chips uh, or rocks that flip up and hit your car or somebody puts their keys against your car, that kind of self-healing film. Uh, why the recent drop? This is the question. There was a recent drop uh, in the share price. Strong run to start 2023 as the markets inexplicitly really rallied broadly bit of a dead cat bounce, but Expel dropped in late February from its near-term high range of 78 or 77 to $80 in that range following its Q2 results that once again produced growth, but not to the level the market and a couple of analysts that are finally following the stock had uh, expected. Q4 highlights here, about 11.9% growth in revenue to 78.5 million compared to the fourth quarter of 2021. Um, Annual growth, however, was in the range of 25%. So Q4 tracked lower growth. Uh, net income increased 34.7% still to 8.4 million, 30 cents per share up from 22 cents in the same period last year. So good solid growth there. Uh, EBITDA was 32% higher in the quarter. Uh, the Q4 was a miss uh, from the guidance that was out there about the guidance, or sorry, not the guidance, the uh, estimates that were out there, 30 cents per share, uh, missed by about 14 cents. Uh, revenues of 78.4 million, again, up 11.9%, but missed by about 5.64 million on the estimates that, are, that were out there. Now, there was some good explanation provided by management on the shortfalls in the quarter. Revenue was negatively impacted by about 3.5 million, resulting from the cancellation of some China orders due to uncertainty created by the change in COVID policy, the sudden restart or reopening of the Chinese economy. To contextualize this, uh, Expel's Q4 business in China is a strong quarter. The rest of the world, it's sequentially slower for the business. So the shock in China really hit hard in a quarter, which is typically a big period and powered kind of by uh, the results and the business in China there. The company also incurred uh, about 400,000 in inventory write-offs, which ne negatively impacted gross margin. SGNA were negatively impacted by about 300,000. There was another 400,000 in severance-related compensation. So some one-time numbers in the quarter there. If you normalize out those items, uh, revenue would have grown around 17%, and the EBITDA margin would have been approximately 18%. EPS would have been approximately 36 cents per share up from 30. So uh, the growth would have looked significantly better uh, if you normalize out those one-time uh, items. Now, outlook, they have some general outlook going into Q1. Management stated automakers seem cautiously optimistic about 2023. New car inventories continue to improve. This moment has, has continued starting Expel off to a good start to the year, they commented. So on, in terms of revenue guidance, management came out saying uh, Q1 revenue to be in the range of 83 to 84 million. That's about 17% year over year in aggregate. That is assuming still China is down 20% year over year. Uh, most of the regions like the US obviously growing at 20% plus. That's what they're looking for in terms of the quarter. Now, if we look at it, my conclusion here quickly today would be new car inventory continues to improve. It remains to be seen the ultimate impact of higher interest rates will have on new car sales, but new car buyers right now still seem to be resilient. It's likely because of some pent up demand. Uh, product hasn't been there uh, for quite a while uh, in 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 inventories have been weaker. I mean, myself, I've gone out to look at a vehicle and I couldn't even view some of the vehicles that I wanted to look at. So we're starting to see that uh, 
get into a better state right now. Expel has enjoyed, the company has enjoyed a compound annual growth rate of 38% since 2012, growing uh, from 10.7 million to 258 million at the end of the prior year. Perhaps the most important thing as we don't always see this in businesses with this strong top line growth. Expel has scaled its profits alongside revenues and growth. Gross profit and operating income margins have grown over the past 10 years significantly. The company has also produced tremendous per share growth as well as the share count in the past 10 years is only grown by 1.8 million shares. That's about 7% of the company's shares outstanding if you go back to 2012. So that's how it's, it's growing but also on a per share basis. Evaluation perspective right now, Expel trades at about 31 times. Next year's estimates, the consensus is about 208 in terms of earnings per share next year. Uh, we see that consensus is a little bit high given the more uncertain macro environment. As such, our estimate, we have it closer to 35 times EPS for next year. Uh, we, know, we know the business well, continue to hold Expel but we are not aggressively buying more shares in the near term as it seems closer to fair term value. If I was looking three to five years forward, uh, we expect Excel as a great operator continue to be a long-term holding. So we see it as a long-term holding going forward. Uh, we're just not aggressively buying in the near term given the macro environment. So do you recall what price multiple off of earnings we were initially paying when we bought the business back in 2018 or 2017 late 2017 do you recall yeah i think that i think that it was trading in about the 17 times but mm -hmm. that was reported earnings but that the issue there was uh there was some hidden what we call hidden earnings there was some they they did a consolidation of uh some of their facilities back then brought them under one roof so there was going to be some there was some cost savings some one-time numbers in a couple of quarters preceding this uh, basically we had them at around 10 times roughly, right. Mm -hmm. in, in that range, uh, what we would call normalized earnings. So, you know, that can be your opportunity. You look at, you know, a screener is going to give you 17 to 20 times, but you know, you look at the numbers and this is what we were able to do and look at the, uh, the income statement, the cash flow statement and figure out that, you know, in our opinion, on a normalized basis, they're cloning, cl trading it closer to 10 times. We expected 25 plus percent growth. We actually expected higher, but we're modeling kind of 20 to 25% to be conservative. And uh, yeah, I mean, the company hit it out of the park over the course of the next year. Uh, we actually, you know, it was in March, the company sat there in the $1.40 to $1, you know, about maybe $1.50 to $1.25 range for about four to six months. March, um, they came out with just tremendous earnings growth. The, those, the numbers that we expected came out, they invested those. Uh, we reiterated our buy after the stock went from about 140 to 250, just saying like, you know, it was actually cheaper on a reported earnings basis then than it was at 140 because of the fact they had tremendous earnings growth. So bought more then, bought more at five bucks, you know, and just, it just, the company continued to execute. Uh, the good thing about management with Expel too, is when we talked to Ryan Pape, who's the CEO, uh, the CFO is great as well. Um, if they think uh, there's a quarter coming up where they have some weakness in China, they're not going to hide that. They're going to tell you exactly about that. They tell the market that as well, which is great to see. So, you know, they're going to give you the good and the bad, and they've just been great operators. And that's what we'd like to see. So one of the, you know, you recommend a company, we actually followed them for four years before we recommended it. But when you do a recommendation on a company, um, you're always after the fact, you're putting a note down. They told us, you know, we're, t for example, 10 cents per share in the next quarter. If they hit nine, you know, you're going to have a negative mark in your ledger on that company. If they had 10 or above, you're going to check it off and you get more certainty in terms of with what they tell you going forward and what they tell the market going forward. So uh, like ex expel keeps giving us checks in the box uh, for the most part. Right. And, and that's what you can hope for. And, you know, in terms of do we trust management if they come out with guidance, you know, we have a higher level of trust from this team than many out there because you have experience quarter after quarter after quarter and more, it's more important year after year. You can have fluctuations in a quarter, but year after year, if, uh, you know, broadly speaking, if what they've talked about comes to fruition, you, you have a higher level of confidence in that. And then when they come out with earnings, 
you know, you, you, uh, you can trust that and model based on that. The flip side is obviously the, the opposite, right? And so he, you get into a situation where management, even if everything looks tremendous, if they've uh, missed estimates for a couple of quarters or periodically over a four-year period, you know, once every third quarter, they're, it's not a good quarter. I was going to say they're pooping the bed or something else. But, um, you know, then you can't, you have no confidence in the level of, or in their guidance. So you just can't, you can't effectively model the company out. So, you know, if you get a company that continually hits, uh, then you have a higher level of confidence. And if, even if it's trading at 25 times earnings, uh, but if you expect them to grow at 25% because management keeps hitting that, then you can certainly pay a premium multiple, but you can't pay that if, if the opposite is true. Exactly. And that's kind it's of a good like way the point to look at a business. I wanted to say, you know, just like look at that multiple expansion that we saw from a company going from just breaking into profitability to all of a sudden, you know, compounding year over year of like, you know, like you said, 38% CAGR. I don't know how long that was. Um, but, yeah. you know, and then Ten also years. growing, you know, EPS, like it's crazy, uh, the multiple. Uh, that a company can come to demand in the market uh, as, you know, it has this great track record. Um, and then, of course, you know, like when the company did report uh, these most recent results, um, you know, it did kind of spook the market, of course, as, you know, they're kind of wondering, can this growth rate continue? Um, which, you know, the stock did take a hit, but, uh, you know, still a great. Yeah. I mean, we've, business. we've seen in the past, uh, like they've come out with, uh, they, they've had a quarter where they've had issues in China and then it's recovered completely exactly. and essentially that's from that. It's not something. The only issue would be, I guess, sorry, not to cut you, but I'm going to anyways, do. but sorry, no, <laughs> I was going to, before, basically before I forget, I'm older than you. Right. So you never know. I might just forget what I was going to say, but in a quarter, they, um, you know, they, they could say in China, they're going to have an issue, but, um, you know, if, if they don't recover, you know, and if, and if it keeps happening, then you start to put a negative in the box, but they have in the past done that the issue in the past, not the issue, but, um, in the past they, they had said, okay, we're going to recover in the quarter. They weren't trading at these absolute premium multiples, right? Mm -hmm. Say three, four years ago. Um, so, you know, we have a quarter that misses and trading at premium multiples. Well, if there is a miss and you're trading at premium multiples, no matter how quality a company you are, we typically see a hit to the share price, yeah. right? We expect them to recover. There's growth in other areas. They keep expanding. You know, there, it was protection film primarily for years for vehicles, right? Now they've brought on, you know, architectural film. And so they're trying to grow that business. I think, you know, 25% organically. And so like, that's I good. Think it would if be... they can continue to do that, there could be other expansion. Yeah. And it would be different if like something fundamentally changed to like the business itself, where again, like the reason we're kind of seeing a slowdown in China is just because we saw, you know, them kind of revert back into more of a lockdown uh, phase. Anyways, you know, we can, we or can it's the opposite. Or was it the opposite? Sorry, it's, was it because they opened? Yeah, it kind of shocked the market. As, yeah, as, yeah. And uh, yeah, they, they you know, you, you're going to an open opening market, right? And then suddenly, you know, distributors have to get product in. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's a number of things that have to, it doesn't, the economy doesn't start up like that. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, but the thing you were talking about too, just the tremendous thing that's led to tremendous gains in the share price, revenue growth, tremendous but like profit growth, just operating leverage that continue to uptick margins is just, it's such a powerful way. That's how they've gotten to uh, a higher multiple over the long term too, because they continue to work on uh, SG&A. They continue to, you know, get more operating leverage, the bigger they get and replicating that model. Like it's like a, a Boyd taking their model into this market, into a new market, but like, you know, the companies in Canada and the US, then they move to uh, Europe, then they move to Mexico, to China and through other areas of Asia. And they just keep, you know, using a similar model that expel I'm talking about now in yep. different countries and, and they're doing tremendously well at it. And it's, it's, you know, it is very well run. So and yeah. And the thing it's, is, it's is nice when you're see. partnering with, you know, these uh, people who are basically like putting on the wrap for you, you know, it's pretty easy to expand that. Way. Yeah. And now they're going close to the customer, the strategy where they're owning the, you know, the, the, the installers. Right. Yep. And they just released a new software. I mean, it's, it's, awesome. it's a, it's a well-run machine. It continues to oil. They oil the machine while it continues to increase uh, in terms of profitability. And we expect that to continue. It's just been at a premium price for a little while here. So 
you know, I'd love it to come significantly on sale. I know it sounds always hard for, you know, an investor that's in it right now to say, but if it comes off 25%, maybe you really want to buy some more if, if they continue that to fix that growth rate over the core of this year, course this year, which we expect them to do. The, you know, the one thing it keeps you up a little is higher interest rates. I mean, if there is, if people just stop buying cars, it'll hurt the company in the near term. I'm then we'd probably myself. get a chance to buy some more. I'm still kicking myself. I didn't buy any at 16 bucks during 2020. You should yeah. just keep kicking yourself. <laughs> yeah. You learn from the pain, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyways. It's true. So Tricon, we got to move on to Tricon. Yes. Brennan, you've got this one, a client. Uh, do you want to read the uh, tweet or email or what? I don't even know where it came in. Did it yeah, come it, in? Was, it came in <laughs> Somewhere. on Twitter. It was a direct message. Um, I kind of just I, I paraphrase it here, but he's wanting us to look at Tricon Residential. He indicates that it appears to be trading at a discount with an acceptable balance sheet uh, and tailwinds at their back with housing shortages and massive immigration inflows. Um, so, yeah, let's take a look at the business here. So Tricon Residential Inc., TCN on the TSX, uh, currently trading at a price of about $10.59 and has about a $2.9 billion market cap and a dividend yield of about 3%. So Tricon is a rental housing company focused on serving the middle market demographic. Uh, Tricon owns and operates approximately 36,000 single family rental homes and multifamily family rental units uh, across United States and Canada. They actually recently got rid of the multifamily rent rental side of the business uh, not too long ago, which I will get into once we look at the financials there. Um, and essentially, uh, the business primarily focuses on the U.S. Sun Belt region, which is home to about 40% of all U.S. households. And as you can see uh, in this slide from Tricon's investor presentation, uh, its net operating income is primarily comes from uh, these high population growth areas. So jumping right to the financials here. So net operating income for the quarter was $73.7 million, an increase of about 24% from Q4 of 2021. Uh, revenue from single-family rental properties was up about 45% to $180.9 million. With, and this was driven primarily by about 23% growth in the single-family uh, rental portfolio and a 9.4% year-over-year increase in average effective monthly rent from about $1,600 a month to about $1,740 per month. Now, revenue from the private funds and, and advisory services was down slightly to about $14.8 million, driven by no performance fees being recognized in the quarter, as well as a decrease in property management fees following the sale of Tricon's remaining interest in the U.S. multifamily rental portfolio during the quarter. And on this point, if we look at Q3 of 2022, you can see there, um, um, if we look at, sorry, on this point, if we look at Q3 of 2022, revenue from the private funds and advisory services was about $112.5 million, which was inflated due to the accrual of performance fees earned from the sale of Tricon's remaining 20% equity interests in the U.S. multifamily rental portfolio following the quarter end. So I just wanted to you know, point that out if you guys kind of saw that anomaly and were thinking, what the heck's going on over there? So adjusted funds from operation for the quarter or AFFO was up about 143% to 88.7 million or 28 cents per share. And as of December 31st, 2022, uh, Tricon held about $204 million in cash and debt and leases of about $5.7 billion, providing a net debt position of about $5.5 billion and a trailing net debt to FFO multiple of about 23 times. Uh, the company also, um, they, they don't break out their adjusted EBITDA, but in their investor presentation, they said that they have a net debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple of about 7.2 times as at the most recent quarter. And looking at the debt, about 71% of the debt is fixed rate, while the other 29% is floating rate. So more is fixed, which is good. And on the valuation metric, the company trades with a trailing price to AFFO multiple um, of about 12 times. 
So looking at the company's guidance, they did provide some guidance here. Um, so you can take a look at that just on the slide as well. You know, I did want to mention a comment just from the president and CEO, Gary Berman. He says, as we look ahead to 2023, we remain focused on growing our single family rental portfolio so we can serve thousands of more families who are in need of high quality, relatively affordable rental housing. Our guidance for 2023 reflects a gradual acceleration of acquisitions over the course of the year, albeit at a slower pace than 2022. So they are expecting you know, growth to slow a little bit, uh, as well as strong same home net operating income growth, largely offsetting the impact of higher interest expense in our FFO profile. We are encouraged by the resilience in our January operating metrics, the emergence of green shoots in the debt markets and stability in the resale housing market that all point to another year of strong operating performance. So, you know, they do have uh, a good outlook towards 2023, despite, you know, what's going on in the economy. So to conclude, I do think that Tricon is an attractive business operating in high population growth areas, trades with a reasonable price to AFFO multiple, pays a nice dividend yield and has a reasonable balance sheet for a REIT. But however, if I was to choose between Tricon or the REIT that Keystone that we have in coverage, which focuses on the Sunbelt region as well, so it is comparable to Tricon, I would personally pick the one that we have in coverage. And the reason being is I'll, I'll go over it here. So number one, it pays a better dividend yield despite it actually paying out you know more of AFFO uh, for the dividend, but still it pays that nice 3.8% yield compared to a 3% yield from Tricon. It also trades with similar valuation multiples. So both are trading at a trailing price to AFFO multiple of about two times. Uh, the company that we have in coverage has a more attractive balance sheet. Uh, for example, if we look at the net debt to FFO, Tricons is about 23 times, whereas the company that we have in coverage is about 16 times. And the percentage of debt that is fixed rate is uh, quite a bit higher for the company that we have under coverage uh, at about 90% compared to you know 71% for Tricon. And last but not least, uh, the company that we have in coverage is projecting similar growth rates for 2022, uh, but growth per share uh, based on AFFO uh, is anticipated to uh, essentially be stronger. Um, so, you know, I do think that it is a good business, but that's really what it comes down to is, you know, uh, is this the best REIT or company operating in the Sunbelt region that I could choose? Well, you know, to conclude, I would pick the one that we have uh, in coverage. Okay, now we'll open it up to you. Guys. Yeah, it's a good summary. Um, I, I think the, like the, the, issue here is, uh, I mean, the guidance, not the guidance, but the estimates out there, I'm looking at a report on the company right now, looking at uh, adjusted FFO per share, uh, around 64 cents this year, this past year, and 44 cents uh, expected next year, or this is 2023, and then yep. 49 in 2024. So, you know, still two years out, not exceeding in terms of what you're looking at uh, in this past year's mm -hmm. FFO on an adjusted basis. Uh, we'd like to see growth there. And, and like the notes they talk about, from home acquisitions, the increase in financing rates has significantly lowered the opportunity sets for homes, which can be acquired currently for Tricon, generally underbidding for homes to achieve a 5.5 to 6% cap rate target. That's what they're bidding at to achieve that target uh, cap rate. But Tricon accepts, they expect to accelerate at, as the year progresses in terms of home buying should interest rates stabilize in the second half of this year. Again, that's if they stabilize. Um, in many cases, I've heard if they come off, right, it would be a reason they would buy some more. So, uh, you know, uncertainty in terms of, where their adjusted FFO goes in the near term. And that in, in most estimates are for lower adjusted FFO yeah. uh, in this year and next year, if you just compare to the trailing 12 months. So that's one of the reasons why you see the share price come down. And, you know, as opposed to the company that we have in coverage that is operating in the U S a lower multiple, like that multiple on AFFO is going to go up this year from this company, even if it stays at the same price. 
in terms of the units, whereas uh, or the share price is and the 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 rate that we're talking about is likely going to yeah um, have the uh, AFFO come down the multiple if the price stays yeah same. exactly so like even just like looking here so like off of the guidance and again these aren't directly comparable because we're looking at like core <laughs> FFO growth for Tricon mm-hmm. and then you know adjust AFFO or adjusted funds from operation growth for uh, the company that we have in coverage so. Tricon's looking at a 25%, you know, decrease this upcoming yeah. for 2023. Whereas again, the company that we have under coverage, they're still looking at growing AFFO, um, which is nice. Paying the same price. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. And potentially less risk too, you know, so, you know, again. Yeah. It's always good. You bring up Aaron's uh, picks. <laughs> this was a company he was doing research on when he's not I, here to take credit uh, for it. So he can't push back. This is you know? true. This is true. <laughs> ripped my segment apart. Hey? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I, th- I, th- well, he recommended the, yes. the mystery company that you're talking about. Yep. So he'd be saying, Oh, Brennan, great yeah. work. Great work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds exactly like him too. Yeah. Well, last week I was ripping him for not getting the cash balance correct on Dynacor the week before. So, you know, there's, there's, I mean, he got it correct. It just was in a different currency, right? So, yes. I mean, Aaron gets ripped enough. Too. Half points. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, he was talking about the right company, just the wrong uh, currency. But uh, that's, I, I'm kidding. And I can say that because he's not here today, right? So, although I did say it when he was on the show. <laughs> oh, poor Aaron. I hope he's having a good time. I, I heard uh, nobody's speaking the language to him down there right now, so he's he's just basically sitting in a corner. Although Aaron does know some Spanish, so yeah. Although I, I think it's the dialect in the area that he's in that he has trouble with too. I mean, I I may be making that up, but I'm pretty sure he's told me that before. All right, so I think that ends it for this week. Uh, I thank you two guys for co-hosting with me. Uh, keep your questions coming into our your stock our take segment. Uh, keep if you've got two companies you want us to compare, send those in. Uh, now, and if you want to rate us and review us on iTunes, do that. Smash the like or the whatever button on uh, YouTube on our channel there. Smash that sucker right now and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we'll keep putting out this content on a weekly basis. Thank you. And as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Profitable investing. 